Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, I don't think you can talk about what Georgia did on Saturday outside of the context of everything else that's happening in college football right now. Georgia, through three games, I would say, has been arguably the most impressive team in the country. The win against Clemson, top five matchup. You don't really know what to make of Clemson anymore. More on that in a moment. But you follow up the neutral site game against Clemson with kind of an easy win against UAB and kind of an easy win uh, against South Carolina on Saturday. In contrast to that, the other so-called elite teams in the country thus far this year have had pretty mixed results. We will talk a lot about Alabama and Florida on today's show and throughout the week. It was a very interesting result that's going to lead to a lot of opinions. But at face value, what it appeared was the number one team in the country, Alabama, the reigning national champion, the reigning you know, uh, SEC champion, not as dominant against the Gators, even though they won on the road, not as dominant in that spot as we're used to seeing Alabama uh, be. Now, what does it mean? I think different people are going to have different takes on that, but at face value, it was a closer game than the experts thought it would be. Clemson struggled again. Uh, you know, really not much offense at all against Georgia Tech. I didn't see much of the game. I had asked some people how much this was kind of related to the weather. They said, really, it was not. It was just not a very good game offensively for Clemson on Saturday after obviously struggling mightily against the very good Georgia defense there in week one. Oklahoma really hasn't had a great performance yet this year. They were close with Tulane. Ole Miss beat Tulane easily on Saturday. Uh, Oklahoma had its issues with the Green Wave. They struggled with uh, Nebraska a little bit a Nebraska team that got embarrassed in week zero by Illinois you know Oklahoma as a national championship contender thus far really has not quite looked that way uh so far this season uh think about Ohio State which struggled a little bit on Saturday against Tulsa lost in pretty convincing fashion to Oregon the week before that you know the very best teams in the country have not quite looked that way which makes what Georgia has done through three weeks seem all the more relevant and it was interesting to hear Kirby Smart now he was asked a question to this effect in terms of how Georgia fits into this discussion right now but it was interesting on Saturday in the aftermath of the win against the Gamecocks to hear Smart attempt to kind of put all of that in context how Georgia's performances fit into the rest of the narrative with the rest of the country and I think it sets us up for a pretty fun discussion here today this is Kirby post game from Saturday it's a weird year because not necessarily the Clemson score or the Alabama because I mean, you know, playing at Florida is a tough place to play, but it's just different. It's a different feel to it because there's so many teams that uh, that I know are talented. And I'm not talking about those teams, but they lose to somebody that's like, man, they have no business losing to them. Or uh, upsets seem to be more prevalent, and we're not immune to that. So we're trying to heighten our awareness to this standard. Like, hey, can we play to this standard all the time? Are we going to go out there and, and, and be flat and not play to our standard? And it's hard when you're dealing with 18, 19, 21 years old because they get they get told all these things and they, they start reading and believing it. And I'm warning our guys all night, hey, look, you played well tonight, but let's be honest. We're on this, like, trajectory and we're trying to climb this thing. And on this fight, we're trying to golf. We're, like, wheels up. We're, we're getting there. We're not – we're not at the highest altitude yet, and so what can we do to avoid that? But I see it. I see it every week in college football, and we try to bring it to our guys' attention. So to give some facts behind the opinion that Kirby Smart just shared, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN tweeted this out early Sunday morning that UCLA ended up losing, I think, late Saturday night. I don't even think the game was on TV, but they ended up losing, or at least it wasn't on TV for a lot of folks. Um, they ended up losing, and that was the 19th loss by a team ranked in the AP poll this season, which is the most in the first three weeks of, of a year in any year of the poll era. So if you're following that, we've had more ranked team lose in the first three weeks than any other year previous to this. And you know, what a lot of people are saying is, oh, chaos year, chaos year, hearkening back to like previous chaotic years like 2007. And when you see that many ranked teams losing, now some of these are ranked teams beating other ranked teams, but still the total number of ranked teams that have lost thus far, you've never had as many ranked teams lose through three weeks as you've had this year. And a lot of folks are looking at that and noticing some of the elite teams kind of struggling, scuffling a little bit. 
the Kirby Smart uses the word weird to describe the year thus far. A lot of media types are saying the same kind of thing right now. Of It certainly appears that there may not be a great team at the moment, which could lead to the kind of thing where there's incredible drama week after week after week. And let me just say this real quickly, and then I'm going to you know, kind of get back on script here for a moment. I think one of the most important jobs for me on this show is not to overreact to things, small sample size, you know, a little bit of data and make too much of that. And I think it, there's a potential danger here on the part of the media saying, oh, Alabama plays Florida close, therefore there's no great team in the country. Uh, Clemson scuffled a little bit, therefore there's no great team. Oklahoma hasn't been great yet, therefore there's no great team. I mean, if you want to go back and look at the last, I, I would say that the last three national champions – Alabama last year, LSU the year before that, even Clemson in 2018, I would say that those teams kind of rank in kind of the near the top of the all-time great category or certainly the modern age great team category. These were historically good teams. But in the case of Alabama, you wouldn't have necessarily said that about that team four or five weeks in the last season. Remember, they gave up a bunch of points to Ole Miss. They were kind of you know not playing a great brand of defense a year ago, but by the time mid-October, November rolled around, they'd completely figured it out, and they were playing really an unstoppable brand of football by that point. Same thing for LSU in 2019. Remember them playing pretty bad defense for a while during that season, close game even against Auburn, gave up 30 points, I want to say, to, to Vanderbilt, and a lot of folks were not really quite so sure what LSU was going to turn out to be, but they eventually became a great team. Sometimes you see that, and so this notion that because we haven't seen a great team, I mean capital G great team, emerge through the first three weeks of the season. I don't necessarily think that trend is 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 obviously guaranteed to continue the rest of the way because previous years would have maybe suggested the same kind of thing through the first uh, couple of weeks, and yet greatness eventually emerged later on. Maybe the same thing happens this year. But let's say for the sake of conversation, it does not. Let's say there isn't a team like 2018 Clemson that's capable of dominating an Alabama team that basically throttled everybody else, or LSU, which became the most prolific offense I'd probably ever seen at that point until Alabama arguably bested it the following year. Let's say there's not a team that's that great here this year, historically great in the category discussion of all-time great teams. Let's say that this year's eventual national champion isn't on its way to being as good as recent champs have been, and Smart's word of weird, let's say that weird year descriptor remains relevant the rest of the season, or as some media types are saying right now, this is the kind of chaotic year that may have happened in this sport back in 2007 or some of the other years that folks remember on all that. If that is the case, if, if, if we're going to just stipulate for the sake of conversation here for a moment that it's a weird year, there isn't a truly great team, there are just some very good teams who are trying to get better over the course of the season, then I would argue that the way that you're supposed to judge Georgia becomes a little bit different. The last couple of years, any game in which Georgia didn't play perfectly was cause for concern because it took almost a perfect game to beat an Alabama last year or an LSU the year before that or you know, kind of on and on you could go that those teams were, by the end of the season, playing at an incredibly high level on offense and a pretty high level on defense, and you had to really be able to match that to have any chance to win the game. But if that's not going to be the case this year, then your goal Saturday in, Saturday out is not to be a perfect team. It's simply to be the team. This is the simple goal that I think that Georgia should have until it's proven otherwise that there is a great team on the scene. But until we prove that one way or another, the goal for Georgia the rest of the season I think is pretty simple. Just avoid the chaos. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to be good each and every week. You, you don't have to be great necessarily each and every Saturday, but you can never be bad because if you are bad, if you let it slip, if you don't have your level of focus, then all of a sudden you become the 20th of these 19 teams that have already uh, been knocked off as ranked opponents. You just got to find a way to avoid the chaos, chaos happening all around you. But if you play with consistency, if you play well, all of a sudden you kind of sidestep all of that. There may be chaos in college football, but there's no rule that says you have to participate in it. All you got to do is buckle your chin strap, show up and play with a fairly consistent level of focus week in, week out. So from that standpoint, I was actually pretty satisfied with what I saw from Georgia on Saturday, even though the team itself you certainly got the impression that they maybe felt like they left something out there, maybe on both sides of the ball. And let me let you hear a, a little bit of this in particular. Let me start with George quarterback JT Daniels, who very specifically said, very matter-of-factly said, that when it came to the start that Georgia got off to and maybe not finishing the game with the same level of crispness, he absolutely thought Georgia should have scored more points than it did this past Saturday. This is what your quarterback said after the game. I think we should have. Uh, it's 
something that you know I'm, I'm always going to look on film before i say anything uh before i make any claims you know i have you know thoughts and feelings based on that um you know, I, I don't really think it was an effort thing uh, as much as it was an attention to detail thing. Uh, in the second half, you know, we, we, we don't have uh, quitters and players that are saying, take me out of the game, you know, when we're up by a good margin. Um, you know, I, it, it, what first comes to me is that there was an execution error on my part during interception. Um, you know, we had a with Pendle phone. I didn't get to see the play, so I don't know anything about it. Um, we, we, a small execution things and you know, that's what we did so well on in the in the first half was we executed on third down. You know, we had 11 players executing on third down, and that's why we converted three third downs on a 90-yard drive for a touchdown. Uh, and we just didn't do that well enough is my initial reaction. So I think more than one thing can be true at once. It is possibly true that for all the reasons I just mentioned, that Georgia through three games has been the most impressive team in the country. But it's also possible under those circumstances to have a guy like JT Daniels say, well, I'm actually not that impressed with what I saw in terms of how we finished the game, in terms of how we played for the full 60 minutes compared to how we played when we were playing at our best at times during that day. And George fans probably like that, right? Not being satisfied even with what was, never really in doubt, a easy win. JT Daniels said there was actually room for more, and it's possible to be impressed with UGA, but also have another level of achievement that you think could have been potentially unlocked. I think that's possibly true. And for everything that Daniel says there about the offensive side, Kirby Smart also talked about some of that related to the defense there as well in terms of just a level of execution, a level of crispness that that could have been maintained that maybe in the second half, Georgia, you know, nursing a big lead, maybe it got a little sloppy. Kirby Smart didn't shy away from admitting that possibly being true. Here's more from the coach after the game. Just execution of players. You know, there's things you work on during the week, and there's things that they just beat you sometimes, you know. Like, you get beat one-on-one, I'm not, I'm not going to lose my sleep over that. They threw some one-on-one balls and beat us. Um, but you don't execute when a coach tells you what play is coming on third down and you design, you show them the play and say that they're about to run this and then they run it and you don't stop it. That's, that's disheartening on offense. When you, you turn the ball over three times, we, we will not be a successful team if we turn the ball over three times. I don't care if we get three. We can't throw two interceptions and fumble one and beat good football teams. So that's a fact. That's not like that, 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 that will keep me from being satisfied or, or pleased. So I think what Smart says there is obviously worth taking very seriously. And what I would add to that is, if this is a year in 2021 that's like previous years where you have an obviously elite team that you're competing with for a national championship, then all your areas of imperfection are critical and crucial and the kinds of things that you have to obsess over. I'm not saying that Smart and Daniels shouldn't be as laser-focused as they are on the areas in which they want improvement, but I am saying, hey, if you're a Georgia fan, I don't think you have to be all that stressed about this necessarily. And what I said about this in the postgame show on Saturday was the Georgia win against South Carolina was total domination that probably stopped just shy of being complete annihilation, if you're getting my point on that. And I understand like the appetite that dog fans have right now they want to see Georgia go out and just, like, throttle a team, beat them by 60 points. They feel like they've seen Alabama do that before. They've seen LSU do that before. You know, they want to see Georgia just go out there and absolutely just, you know, just bulldoze a team by 50 or 60 points. But I think that sometimes the impression that Georgia fans have of what other teams are doing in the spots is a little bit different than it actually is. Let me just give this to you really quick, then we're going to move on. So I went back and looked at what Alabama has done in its last 20 games when it's been a 30-plus point favorite. Now, listen – you can gamble, you can not gamble. I don't care what you do with your money, but I do think understanding the way that point spreads work as an expectation for how teams are performing is actually a fairly effective way to pay attention to college football. It's one of the reasons why I reference point spreads when I do is it sets a level of expectation and it discusses how a team performs in comparison to that expectation. That's kind of where some of that comes from there on that. So in the last 20 games, which Alabama has been a 30-point favorite, the picture that the average fan has of that is, well, Alabama just keeps its foot on the gas the entire time. It goes out and beats those teams by 40 and 50 points. But the truth is, in the last 20 games, as a 30 or more point favorite, Alabama's just 9-11 against the spread. About half the time they cover that number, about half the time they don't. Georgia's not quite as good, uh, you know, 
in the same circumstances, but it's not like Alabama's going out there and covering the 30-point spread each and every time either because maintaining your level of focus for a full 60 minutes when you have that big of a lead, it's just not that easy to do. There's a lot of variance in 30-plus point type games. Georgia was on its way to having that kind of win on Saturday, and it seems like the wheels came off just a little bit. But if this is year chaos, if this is a year without a truly great team, then all of a sudden the issue for Georgia is not how do you play perfectly, it's how do you play consistently. And if Georgia can play for the next nine regular season games, as well as it has played for composite speaking here, uh, you know, you know, the average of the way that it's played for the first three games, then I think the dogs are in a pretty good shape. It may be a year of craziness. It may be a year where upsets are happening all, all across the board. It may be a year where some of the very best teams are not playing that way week to week. Georgia's job is to avoid that. Georgia's job is to stay consistent in a year in which chaos may be abounding everywhere else. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. It's great to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, we start at 945 on our first and 15 there at the dognation.com homepage and the Dog Nation app. It's a special way of saying thank you to those who've made the rollout on that video platform so successful, and it's been so much fun. Also, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, podcast, Apple, Spotify, blah, 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 all the different platforms. Uh... Post the show at the WorldFamousDogNation.com each and every day on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. Just good stuff all the way around. Also, big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of George for making it possible. Energy-efficient windows and doors, you need them. You'll notice the difference once you have them. It keeps the outside outside. It keeps the inside inside. It makes your house look better. It can improve your resale value. Uh, certainly, it's going to make the experience inside more enjoyable and even maybe save you some money on your energy bills, too. You can get a free in-home consultation, or you can do virtual if that's still what you'd prefer to do. Let one of the Pella experts walk you through all the installation options on that, plus take advantage of great savings between now october 28th you can get 40 percent off qualifying installations or zero percent interest if you pay for your project in full within 12 months with regular payments so really good saving opportunity there a couple of ways to get in touch give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 or visit pellaofga.com slash dog nation that's pellaofga.com slash dog nation all right it's john stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment Lots to talk to John about here today. That's going to be a fun discussion. Also, very funny stuff from South Carolina coach Shane Beamer uh, in his post-game press conference about the Dogs' defense. Some of you have heard this already. I think, though, it leads us to say something pretty remarkable about the current state of Georgia's recruiting pitch to elite 2022 names. We'll talk about that before we're done today's show. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse, uh, assisted today by our friends at AAA and I'm not going to make a huge deal about this because I was a little bit frustrated by how big of a deal this became, but it was a big enough deal that I feel like it has to be mentioned. The decision to insert Stetson Bennett in the game in the first half, Bennett throws an interception. And look, my issue here is not just the result, although, you know, obviously you don't want to throw picks, as Kirby Smart said a moment ago, too many turnovers for Georgia on Saturday. My issue is this, and I'm a fan of Bennett. I like Stetson. But the thing that we've come to expect about Kirby Smart is that, Smart is going to avoid distractions at all costs. Smart's going to do everything he can to eliminate distractions, really finds himself, you can almost say he's allergic to any idea that could you know, conceivably be a distraction. And yet on Saturday, by putting Bennett in the game, regardless of the result, just taking what, if your starter's healthy enough to play, he's healthy enough to play for the entirety of the game, I would say. And to take him off the field and put Bennett in is inviting the kind of distraction that typically Smart would do everything in his power to completely fight against. It's just leading people to have the discussion after the game that is different than the one they should be having. You know, you watch the postgame show on Saturday, instead of talking about the fact that actually pretty quietly the Georgia offense is getting better doing some of the things post-Clemson that we said it needed to do, Instead, all anybody can fixate on is who's playing quarterback, how much they're playing, what the results that are happening when that's the case. And it's one thing if you have an honest-to-goodness quarterback you know, competition or quarterback controversy. But with JT Daniels playing the way that he's playing, really living up to the promise that he showed you for the first four games uh, of his Georgia career at the end of last season, then you're, you're basically manufacturing a quarterback controversy, at least in the eyes of, of some fans and some media, when – it's not like anybody would have wondered had Bennett not played. Well, why wasn't Stetson Bennett in the game? No one would have thought that at all. This was a, you know, when you 
examined the behavior of Smart on Saturday, this was a solution in search of a problem. If, if JT Daniels is healthy enough to play, there is no problem, and there, therefore there is no reason to, to manufacture something around that. But after the game, Smart was asked to talk about why he made the decision that he made. This is, in his own words, the justification for that. To be honest with you, you know, JT was not 100% all week, and uh, he, he practiced all week, but he didn't, I mean, he didn't necessarily go with the ones the whole time. We didn't know he was going to be able to go on Monday, and we thought Stetson really practiced well, and he and JT rolled uh, all week, and we told him, uh, I guess it was Thursday or Friday, and we called him in and said, hey, look, you're both going to play, and uh, we think JT's healthy enough to go, but we're going to play you, Stetson. And it's an unfortunate deal. Uh, Brock's route was a little shallow. Uh, and he you know, probably shouldn't have thrown it there, and he threw it a little high, sailed on him, and got it picked. So unfortunate for Stetson, but he did have a good week of practice. And I've said it all along, and I continue to say it and stand by it, I have a lot of confidence in our quarterbacks, a lot of confidence in our quarterbacks. It, I can't say that I've ever had as much confidence in three to four guys that I've ever had. So uh, Stetson earned that right, and uh, it just didn't work out. So I don't disagree, at least my assumption, uh, based on what Smart says there at the end, this does appear to be a deeper Georgia quarterback situation than we're used to seeing. More guys potentially capable of playing. More guys that have the potential of high-level performance by the time their Georgia career is done. We're not used to seeing the Georgia quarterback room be quite as deep as it is right now. I certainly take that pretty seriously. But the idea that, that Bennett has earned the right to play, boy, I just don't know about that part of this. You know, if you've got a guy in Daniels who's a potential Heisman finalist, potential first-round pick, if he's healthy enough to play, don't overthink it. Daniels is the only quarterback that ought to be playing for Georgia right now. I don't care about the 2022 race to be the starter or, you know, what the future looks like for Georgia. It's the present that matters right now, and that present is JT Daniels. And frankly, Georgia should be grateful that it's got a quarterback who appears to be as effective as Daniels looks to be right now. Now, for what it's worth, after the game, Daniels took the high road when being asked about everything that's kind of gone on with Ben. And including, by the way, the record-setting statistical performance from a week ago against UAB, uh, JT, as you might imagine, was very gracious in discussing his thoughts on Bennett. Here's JT again. The, the first thing is we're pumped for him. Uh, everyone in the quarterback room, when I say we, I mean me, Carson, Brock, uh, Jackson, but I'm mean, really the whole quarterback room. Um, it, it's amazing the quarterback room that we have. Uh, from the outside, I think a lot of people see the uh, quarterback as, you know, obviously the premier position. Uh, you know, you can only play one. Uh, and everybody's always, you know, every quarterback's dying to, you know, be that guy. Uh, does everyone in that room want to play every game? Yeah, obviously. But um, we have for scholarship really team-oriented, team-first guys. When, Stet- when Stetson, me, Carson, and Brock are all watching for specific things, and the same things and uh, same things happening when I'm in. So it's it's not something that you know really even crosses my mind. Uh, I let coach make the decision on who's going to play and when. Uh, you know, they don't pay me to make that decision, so. I really don't spend much time thinking about it. Uh, and, you know, happy for Stetson when he plays great. He's happy for me when I play great. We're all happy for Carson when he plays. You know, it's just a good quarterback room that's more concerned with winning than uh, who's getting the shine. I mean, I think that's nice to hear Daniel say that. I think the fact that he's even having to talk about Stetson Bennett, though, is an example of a PR fail. I think that much the same way a politician wants to stay on message, if, if your quarterback after a game is being asked about a different quarterback – then there's some sort of message fail there that Georgia hasn't properly communicated what's going on if there's questions about Stetson Bennett being asked to JT Daniels in a game like that. And, and I said this a moment ago, that the job for Georgia this season in what may be a chaotic year around the rest of college football, so many upsets, so many top five teams not necessarily playing that way, if the job for Georgia is avoiding chaos, that also means avoiding chaos that you yourself create. And I think that Smart's a brilliant coach, and I think that his stewardship of the Georgia program has been fantastic. But I also think in a situation like this, this seems to be a little bit of a self-created form of chaos, and frankly not the first time he's done that when the quarterback position has been involved. That is around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA. No chaos when it comes to them. They can actually help eliminate chaos in your life with their legendary roadside assistance, but that's not the only reason I want you thinking about AAA. I want you to think about them there as well when it comes to auto insurance there too. Because when you switch and save with AAA, you can save on average $529. It's great, great savings. You can find out more by checking them out on the web at aaa.com slash auto insurance. That's aaa.com slash auto insurance. AAA.com slash auto insurance. Switch and save with AAA here today. All right, we've got a very busy show coming up for you. 
we will look a little bit more at the Florida-Alabama game, what it means, what it doesn't mean, uh, what the Georgia fans should take from all of that. Pretty uh, good conversation on that. Also start thinking about the upcoming week's worth of games. There's one big one that Georgia fans, I think, ought to have their eye on for this upcoming Saturday. We will talk about that before we're done. As said before, there was some really funny stuff from Shane Beamer in talking about the overwhelming challenge right now of dealing with a dominant Georgia uh, defense. That's good stuff before we're done today there as well. But for more on what was a convincing win for Georgia against South Carolina and also a game in which guys like Kirby Smart, JT Daniel says there's still some stuff to work on post-game after all of that. Let's find out the appraisal of the situation from the great former UG All-American John Stinchcomb as we do a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb. Uh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> Boy, that's a blast from the past. A classic city lager insider update. We love our friends from Creature Comforts Brewing Company and Classic City Lager. Let's do a classic city lager insider update with John Stinchcomb right now. Good to have all of you with us there today, too. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, good stuff. Uh, John Stinchcomb, Classic City Logger Insider Update. We get a chance to talk to John about everything going on with UGA after the uh, big game on uh, Saturday against South Carolina. And, John, I don't want to belabor this point too much because, you know, frankly, I think it was a little bit frustrating that it was on the mind of so many fans post-game. Uh, but it obviously has been a hot topic of conversation. You know, Georgia's kind of humming right along there. JT Downs comes out of the game. Stetson Bennett slides into the game. There's an interception. All of a sudden, you've got smart post-game saying that, that Bennett earned the right to get that opportunity. You've got, you know, questions coming to JT Daniels about Stetson Bennett. To me, it's, it's, it's manufacturing a quarterback situation where there really probably shouldn't be. Georgia's got a clear starter in JT Daniels. He has a chance to be one of the very best in the country. I don't think the situation should be overthought any more than just that. And I say that as a guy who really likes Stetson Bennett. Very briefly before we get into everything else, since I was just discussing it, what did you think of the way the quarterbacks were handled on Saturday? I think you looked at the opportunity uh, against an opponent that you felt like you had a good game plan for. And, you know, the first two series, JT Daniels comes out and he performs really well. Uh, you, you're off to a good start against an opponent that you you like your chances with. And um, based on last performance, Stetson Bennett had a heck of a game last week. So uh, you want to honor that. You want to continue to um, get the guys reps. You see rotations at other positions. But this isn't a quarterback controversy. We all know that. JT Daniels is the QB1 for Georgia. And uh, I think it was more of a, a game-time situation uh, and going in with a plan against South Carolina, understanding what Stetson did the week before. And it didn't pan out well. I mean, I sometimes you have the best laid plans and, and they just don't go the way that you anticipate. And you know, Stetson gets in there in his first throw is, is high and gets picked off and uh, it creates controversy after the after the game but I think if it, it you, know, you had a second performance like we had seen last week from Stetson and there's not that uh, ridicule and uh, consternation from the fan base um, after you know, JT had had started so well, so I think it just didn't it didn't pan out the way that anyone had anticipated. When you put together a, a plan that has Stetson in the rotation, and uh, I don't think you should make anything more of it than than what it really was. Beyond that, I thought it was a pretty good day for Georgia on Saturday, and maybe a slightly better day than maybe Georgia itself thought. When you listen to some of the things that Smart said post game, which all were all true, and some of the stuff that JT Daniels said post game, which were all true. I think overall, though, you know, I want to go back to the post Clemson game for a moment where on that Monday we said, hey, you know, Georgia's got to get some young players more experience, some injured players a little healthier, uh, take advantage of some weaker competition, and we could see the Georgia offense improve just on that alone. Now, some of those injured guys, other than Kieras, who did play on Saturday at the receiver spot, some, a lot of those injured guys are still waiting to return, but in terms of younger players getting experience and kind of bullying some overmatch competition, that's happening. The Georgia offense is getting better. It's, it's certainly playing better in back-to-back -back games against UAB and South Carolina than it has a lot over the last couple of years. And this defense is a movable feast right now. It travels each and every week. Whoever Georgia's playing, it shows up, and it does the same aggressive 
havoc wreaking type stuff that it's been doing uh you know for the for the you know the first you know couple games there as well I think overall I think Georgia is showing a level of consistency right now that I'm not quite so sure the rest of the country is able to match and yeah it wasn't a covered spread and yes it wasn't a 50 point win when it maybe seemed like for a while Georgia might be trending in that direction but it was still pretty dadgum thorough and on a day that Georgia wasn't perfect I gotta say I left Sanford Stadium fairly satisfied on Saturday this is a team that's only going to get better throughout the season. I think that's what's scariest about Georgia is, uh, yes, they're already the number two team in the country and perform that way uh, or have at least the first three weeks pretty consistently. And they're getting better. I, one of the concerns was, what about the run game? And I saw flashes this past Saturday that make you go, ooh, there's some really nice opportunities and it doesn't take much for these backs. I mean, James Cook, I think he's having a – he had one of his better games, great vision, hitting holes inside. You know, when we did our off-season breakdown of him and did a little player profile, for a guy who's known for his speed and elusiveness, he, he makes a, an inordinate a number of plays uh, right in between the tackles. I think he sees the hole and, and bursts through it as good as anyone in the country right now. So, um, obviously, the more reps these young guys get in complement, complementary roles, uh, whether due to injury or uh, just opportunity, uh, you, you saw a little bit of rotation. Roderick Jones came in at right tackle, got some work there. Uh, and, and then the receiving core, um, you know, young guys. A.D. Mitchell is a, a guy who – when given the opportunity, has, has flashed. Obviously, Saturday was one of his better games this season. Um, and I think that's what we can start to expect is, as, as each week progresses, one, you're creating identity for this offense, but two, such great reps for these young guys, and you're doing it in ways that is making your team better, not at the expense of, of – wins and losses i mean you're doing it in in some pretty dominant fashion yes it didn't cover the spread but overall tremendous performance by this group and and the game was never in question and it shouldn't have been i mean georgia's the superior talent in that game and, and they proved it on saturday so after saying i was satisfied now let me move on and nitpick a thousand things but um what do you make of the current situation with you know, Josh Van's a very speedy receiver for South Carolina, a little bit different kind of receiver than Georgia probably faced against Clemson, the last team that had played that had good receivers. Latson and Nagata, I think, are really good, but Van's really, really fast. And when you think about, you know, Arkansas has got a really fast receiver coming up. Most of the SEC teams, you know, kind of will. But, you know, when that kind of speed is getting over top of the Georgia defense there a little bit, a couple folks saw Amir Speed get beaten a couple times. I think that Smart gave you a little bit more of a wide-ranging view of that when he spoke about that issue in particular. But it's obviously the thing that Georgia fans have on their mind of, you know, against LSU in 2019, against Alabama a year ago, um, you know, these moments when you face these very, very competent passing attacks, you know, in college football these days, they just find a way to exploit any hole that you might have in your defense. And so I think with good reason, Georgia fans are going to have that on their mind of, you know, it's great to have a dominant front seven. It's great to have a great pass rush, but you can't have back end breakdowns. You can't have speedy receivers blowing the top off the defense because obviously you can be great three plays in a row, but if the fourth play is an explosive, you give up then obviously that's a big win for the offense. So what did you make of that part of the game on Saturday? Well, it's, it's something to note. Um, the strength of this defense is the front seven, and that box is playing at an unreal level. You talk about you're either elite or you're not. Uh, well, that front, front four, the amount of pressure, and by front four, the rotation that's occurring up front and without a drop-off, uh, it's pretty pretty spectacular. Um, so where do you turn your attention? You turn it to the back end. I, I'll say this: Van is a heck of a player. He made he made some good plays against us. There was one throw that I, I thought Kendrick had an interception on, and and Van reaches over and, and snatches the ball uh, out of the air and, and has a, a nice play. That's going to happen. You, the way these offenses are set up. Um, for teams, they're going to find their players. They're going to put them in positions to make plays. Uh, I think I think gone are the days where you can just totally shut down productive offenses, especially when you have 
the the amount of talent that these teams are having on the edges and, and Van's one of those guys. He's going to have his plays. Now, yes, the 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 secondary is an area of opportunity for this Georgia defense to get better. Um, they they didn't probably have their best game on Saturday and and haven't yet. There is still room for improvement there, but let's talk about what Georgia is doing right, and that's the fact that no matter who's up front right now, really high production. And um, you have one of, if not the best, defensive linemen. I know interior defensive yeah. linemen, the best in, in Jordan Davis. The, the amount of plays that this guy is making, um, it's truly impressive and fun to watch him get after these offensive lines week in and week out. I mean, what a difference maker he is. And he's surrounded by some tremendous other at big athletes. Um, uh, watching Walther come, come in there and make the plays that he does, along with Jalen Carter and Walker. I mean, uh, th- this interior defensive line, Devontae Wyatt, man, what a huge um, steal for Georgia oh, to yeah. get this fifth year and have him come back. I mean, it, this the, this group up front is really fun to watch i'm glad i'm not playing i can just watch it yeah i mean look look, you got to show recruits how they're going to be used in your system and that's what george is doing so well right now i mean it just looks like it'd be really fun to play for if you're the kind of guy that imagines yourself physically matching what these current georgia players can do i don't know how you get a better commercial for yourself than to see as you said it's walthar flying all over the place on saturday Devontae white to my eyes looked like he had a very good game the week before it's nazir stackhouse so not only is it like the the big name superstar like jordan davis who is just every bit as good as advertised but it's the other guys who are coming in on a rotational basis it's all the outside linebackers who are flying around getting to do all their kind of stuff i don't care what kind of recruit you are of the upper crust variety you can look at the georgia defense and say that guy looks like me and look at all the fun that he's having it's the kind of success that has a replenishing effect because people are going to want to do that uh, in, in in their college careers it's such a good commercial for UGA recruiting at least at least I, I assume it must be and it certainly seems like it might be based on the reaction we're already seeing from some recruits having seen it in person and, and across the board I think you're looking at um, no matter wh- where you are on the depth chart if you, even if you're not number one if you can help our team, we will find ways to get you in the game. There's such great rotation. If you're the number one guy, you've got to love it because I think you're staying more fresh than ever um, because of the ability and depth that Georgia is exhibiting right now across the board. So many different positions where you're, you know, how many teams are like, well, we've got one guy, but once you get past him, it's a pretty steep cliff. That's not the case for this Georgia team. I mean, it, the rotations are high. You're coming in fresh. Your your motor's running 100 miles per hour, and the guy across from you is going, well, that's not fair. I've been in for 62 straight plays. Um, and, and that's one of the advantages. I think it is a huge recruiting tool when you can highlight that if you're ready to play, we'll find a way to get you on the field. And that's that's been the Georgia way. It, it seems to be a, a staple now of creating opportunities for guys, maximizing their skill sets, and getting them out, out there on the field to help Georgia win ball games. Uh, you know, if, if you're a wide receiver, if you're a tight end, I know that's been a big question in, in years past. Well, can we get these big big tight ends um, to come play for Georgia because they just haven't been uh, a staple in this offense? Well, I, I think we've answered that. Uh, yeah. If, oh yeah, if pretty pretty. Uh, definitely with uh, with what they've done with a certain true freshman. How impressive has that been? Oh, it's I mean, amazing. What a difference maker. No, it's amazing. Uh, the way they're using Brock Bowers right now, so much fun to watch. And Bowers is a really pretty special player early in his Georgia career. i got something else I want to ask you about in a moment, John. Let me remind folks, though, this is our classic city logger insider update. Athens was so much fun on Saturday. So many folks having a great time tailgating. And for a lot of the folks who are enjoying that, Creature Comforts Brewing Company, their great creation, Classic City Lager, a big part of that. Especially, it's pretty hot outside on Saturday, so a lighter lager-style beer I think goes well on a day like that. And I think for a lot of our audience, you know, they – sometimes want that but they also want like the craft 
style you know lager they want the great care and the attention to detail that comes from uh craft beer makers like our friends at creature comforts brewing company who take their role in that community very very seriously and they love being good citizens in the athens community there as well and they just love making good cold beer just very very simple very very straightforward uh, so much of the many of the folks in our audience love it i love it and it's in my refrigerator all the time and you can get some yourself it's available in six and 12 cap pack cans wherever you're doing your shopping you can pick up some classic city lager today from Creature Comforts Brewing Company. It is just good cold beer. All right, John, but let me get one more thing in here before we let you go, and I want to be respectful of your time. But I talked about this off the top of the show, and I'm not quite so sure you know, how much you, know, you saw of some of the other teams on Saturday, but you know, Kirby Smart described this as a weird year. We've seen 19 ranked teams in the AP poll already go down to defeat in the first three weeks. Never had more than that through three weeks in a year. Uh, there are media people saying it may be a chaotic year. Kirby Smart called it a weird year. Uh, this may be a year right now, at least through the first three weeks, where no truly great team has emerged, unless you count Georgia as that, who I think you can make a case, has been the uh, best team in the country through these first three weeks of the season. What do you make right now how Georgia fits into the rest of the national landscape, where it seems like we are certainly still trying to figure a lot out? How do you feel like Georgia fits into this discussion right now? I think we we were in discussion as one of the best teams in the country, and rightfully so. And uh, you know, the question comes is how was that week one victory? Uh, how will that pan out as the year plays out? I, I know the Clemson Georgia Tech game wasn't exactly what people were expecting. When you look at that final score, and you're going, well, is Clemson not as good as what everyone had projected? And I think that's across the board. Nobody really has a handle on some of the upper echelon teams as to where they stand. Obviously, Alabama won a a big one against Florida, but there were plenty of opportunities for the Gators to to pull it out. I mean, that two-point conversion late in the game uh, that just never really materialized could have knocked off number one team in the country. But you look at the list, and really what we were talking about in the offseason B.A. with uh, the change it, it, in quarterback it, for some of these premier programs, there was a lot of question marks as to, you know, gone is Justin Fields and Lawrence and, um, you know, just across the board, there was going to be a lot of new faces and that, that sometimes takes time to develop and, and create that identity. And that we felt like Georgia was in a good position knowing that JT Daniels was, um, the number one quarterback and, and having the entire off season to work and develop and get the, the uh, timing with the receivers and understand what he does. Well, that would be a huge advantage for Georgia. And I think that's playing out. I think you look across the country and uh, other teams are, that are talented, but they aren't nearly as far along in their process as Georgia is right now. And, um, I think that really bodes well. I think there's a reason, and justifiably so, for the enthusiasm and uh, just the the giddiness that I'm starting to sense across the board for Georgia fans that this really could be the year. (laughs) I know it's like the we should put it on a shirt, but um, (laughs) I I think this this is uh, there's some really strong cases that could be made as to why that's the uh, the truth this year. Well, I think that's well said, John, and I always love your insight on everything that's going on with the program. Fun day on Saturday, many more, hopefully, very fun days to come throughout the rest of the season there as well. Appreciate you helping us break it all down. Hope you have a great week, and we will look forward to getting a chance to chat with you again very soon. Always fun. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, just valuable insight all the way around when it comes to John Stinchcomb there. Really, really terrific stuff. And by the way, speaking of terrific stuff, as we transition to our SEC Through, I gave him a little bit of shout-out prematurely a little earlier, but uh, I am eager to uh, welcome them back to the program here right now. My friends at Marlowe's Tavern, ribs and whiskey is ongoing. This is one of those kind of like – you know, red alert, five alarm, you know, type deals. I want to make sure you're aware of this because Marlowe's Tavern, it's a great chance to visit the tavern in your neighborhood uh, any point in time during the year, but it's extra specially fun for me during the ribs and whiskey event. And I don't really have to tell you why it's ribs and whiskey. Like I don't really need to explain much more than that, but obviously 
you know, Marlowe's does this kind of thing so well because when it comes to the ribs and the, the barbecue items they have on the menu right now, they've also got those great glazes that go with that, like the Jack Daniels glaze or the Carolina mustard. That obviously makes a big difference on this. Plus, they have like the, the, the terrific limited time dessert, the honey bourbon bread pudding, which kind of goes so well with all of this, too. It's just delicious. And you know, listen, they're, they're bartenders. They love the craft cocktails. They love specially designing all that. Of course, it's chef-inspired food every single time you go to a Marlowe's Tavern. So really fun stuff. Excellent, excellent uh, promotion running right now at the uh, tavern right there in your neighborhood. So check out Marlowe'sTavern.com for more. Marlowe'sTavern.com. And the cool thing is, you know, you want to go eat in the dining room. It's always a relaxing night when you do that. Or for a lot of folks right now, it's about kind of getting it to go and taking it back home and maybe relaxing around your outdoor fireplace or something like that or getting it for a tailgate heading towards the weekend. Marlowe's Tavern works very well, and the ribs and whiskey work very well, or maybe more so the ribs and the whiskey. But the point is, you, you get my drift. Uh, enjoy that to go right now as a, a great way to enjoy this wonderful time of year here in the state of Georgia there too. So really fun. All right, let's do our SEC through. And I want to hit kind of the two big games involving SEC teams in the weekend, and then we're going to kind of look ahead a little bit to what's upcoming here for this upcoming week there as well. So for Alabama and Florida, we called this, and we get plenty wrong, we, get, we did get this one right, that this was going to be a little bit of a flat spot for Alabama and an opportunity for Florida to do what it has done under Dan Mullen, play well at home in the rare instances when it's been an underdog. Florida's really shown up, and they showed up in a big way on Saturday against uh, Alabama, had a chance to win the game, probably a little bit of an odd decision on the two-point conversion prevented that from happening, but ultimately we didn't think Florida had a chance to win, but we did think they had a chance to play a close. So now that that happened, what does all of this mean? On the Alabama side of this, be very careful not to make too much of it. And I said this off the very top of the program. There are going to be people out there who are saying, ah, chaos year, no great team, Alabama, not what it once was. Y'all, much the same way that you could have looked at recent history and predicted a little bit of a flat spot for Alabama about halfway through towards the end of September because that kind of moment seems to replicate itself a lot for the Crimson Tide over the years. The subsequent domination that comes in the weeks after that in recent years has also been fairly easy to predict there as well. So do not be too quick to assume that the first-year starting quarterback in Bryce Young doesn't grow up really quickly and that you know this defense doesn't find itself at some point in time. They played awful defensively against Ole Miss last year and were literally a different team in their following game against Georgia, as dog fans unfortunately remember from last October. So the one thing I am not going to do here is throw dirt on Alabama because it played Florida close. That has been a false positive too many times in the past. Uh, It's more likely, I believe, that Alabama still becomes dominant than it is that they don't. Do not get tripped up by recency bias and all this. I think you've got to be really, really careful about all all of that. On the Florida side of this, obviously I, I joked on Twitter on Saturday night about Dan Mullen seemingly celebrating the fact that he kept it close with Alabama for a second year in a row, and this time was even closer than the last one. I think that's goofy. I think Dan Mullen's goofy. But I'm also not going to be, you know, some grifter that tells you everything that you want to hear on this. Y'all know how much I hate Florida. You know how much I love being a Gator hater. Our buddy Eddie sits on the desk with me each and every day. We take, you know, the idea that Florida is Georgia's biggest rival. We take that very seriously around here. We preach that all the time. But I told you during the summer that there were a lot of people that were trying to talk about Florida as not a top 25 team, as a team that was, you know, going to completely fall off the map after the four losses from a year ago, and I told you, I want that to be true, but it's wishful thinking to assume that's true. You can go back and listen to shows during the summer where we made that point, made that point a few times. Phil Steele excluded Florida from his preseason top 25. We said that was ridiculous. Heather Denich, the ESPN gal, uh, was saying that uh, she thought that uh, Florida was going to you know, essentially not be a top 25 team. We said that was ridiculous when she said that, when other people have said the same thing. We said it was wishful thinking for a team that was like, you know, top 15 in both preseason FPI and, you know, uh, Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio of former four and five star recruits. It's ridiculous to think that team's going to fall off the map completely. I wish it was true, but don't believe it would be. And on Saturday, I think that Florida did prove in a win, I should say in a loss, they did prove that they are not going to be an easy win for anybody, probably even Georgia on October 30th. I still expect for Georgia to win that game, but this is not going to be a coronation for Georgia. Georgia's not moving through the SEC East 
in 2021 the same way it did in 2017 when it was never challenged by anyone. In the month of October, I expect Georgia to get some challenges. And it could be that Florida gives you a little bit of a challenge there as well. The most interesting stat from the game on Saturday, you know, there were some struggles from the Florida quarterbacks here and there a, a little bit. But the most interesting stat of all to me is the fact that the Gators rushed for 245 yards. This is not something that Florida has done in recent years under Dan Mullen. If you want to go back to Mullen's best teams at Mississippi State, they were effective at running the football. They did have a capable rushing attack. Whether it's because of a willingness to call those plays the last couple of years or an inability to find running backs who can get the job done, Florida has not been in much of a rushing team. But they had four rushing touchdowns on Saturday, some of it obviously coming from quarterbacks. But but this is a team that has found a little bit of a running game. And that does make Florida more dangerous. And I do take that somewhat serious. As I said before, my overall outlook for Georgia and the SEC East hasn't changed. I've thought that Georgia would be the best team in the East, but I've also been trying to tell you that those who were trying to convince you that Florida was no threat at all to UGA, I just thought that was too much wishful thinking. And I think the game against Alabama on Saturday validates that this is the type of team that you've got to roll up your sleeves, you've got to put up your dukes, and you've got to get ready to go fight and beat. You've got to take the SEC East from them. They're not going to give it to you simply because Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney and Kyle Trask are no longer in that program. Florida's not vacating its status as SEC East champ. They are still the reigning champs. And, you know, to quote Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man. That's the story for Georgia on October 30th. It's a revenge game with a Florida team that's kind of feeling itself a little bit after playing Alabama close. You've got to take that game very, very seriously if you want to be back on top in that world's largest outdoor cocktail party rivalry. A couple more things here for a moment. Auburn. You know, it didn't really embarrass itself at Penn State, but obviously lost the game. And, you know, more struggles on the road for Bo Nix ends up being the issue here. And I guess the game plays out about the way it was expected to. I told you going into it, I didn't have a strong feel one way or another on Penn State-Auburn. Um, and, you know, the game, you know, kind of was what the consensus thought it would be. Uh, Penn State win by about a touchdown or so kind of plays out that way I think for now here's my only take I mean first of all October 9th on the road for Georgia at Auburn is you know it's the kind of game that you got to take a little bit serious I still don't quite know how good Auburn is but it's the kind of game you have to take at least a little bit seriously uh, it's been a tough road environment before it's it's the kind of thing especially the week after an Arkansas challenge you know Auburn on the road may feel a little bit like a challenge I think we'll learn more about Auburn to a great degree a couple of weeks time when they go on the road at LSU that's the spot when you may find out just how tough Auburn's going to be when you face them in their own stadium but beyond that I mentioned the struggles for Bo Nix like here's my one takeaway on this for right now when Bo Nix came into Auburn he was a legacy player he has a famous last name at least for folks there on the plains there was a lot of celebration. And Gus Malzahn, I thought, didn't really nix no favors by saying that he was going to win championships at Auburn. He was really handpicked as the guy. And that's a tough spot to be in. And you saw the way in which, you know, tabbing Bo Nix, Malik Willis leaves the program. Joey Gatewood leaves the program. Now, since then, you've had guys like T.J. Finley come into the program from LSU. Remains to be seen, you know, kind of what his role is going to be. But... I mean, Nix was really kind of tabbed as the guy, and the previous coach, Gus Malzahn, was very comfortable in making Nix be the only quarterback they were considering playing there on the roster. And for a lot of Auburn fans, hey, what could go wrong? Bo Nix was an elite recruit. Bo Nix is a guy that, you know, grew up being an Auburn fan. Dad played quarterback at Auburn. This seemed like a perfect scenario until the player himself kind of turns out not to be very good or at least not great. And that's a very important reminder for Georgia. We heard Kirby Smart say this on the show a little earlier, that he's probably never felt better about the depth in his quarterback room than he has right now, three or four guys that he would feel comfortable playing. I think that's a good thing for a program to have. Now, the unspoken subtext to all of that is, is that you can only play one quarterback at a time, and most teams only play one quarterback for a season in normal circumstances. That means that only one guy is going to be happy, and two or three guys eventually will kind of be unhappy. That leads to kind of a, a tough situation to manage because there are egos and there's, you know, there's, there's reputations and there's, there's everything else that kind of you know, factor is into all of that. But I think if you're Georgia, you've got to be more comfortable with the three or four guys in the hopes you can find one capable player from that group than you're going to be from the 
hey, we're going to tab a guy like Bo Nix who seems like he can't miss prospect, but what happens if the can't miss does miss? All of a sudden now we go on the road to a place like Penn State. We have really no chance of winning the game because we can't get effective enough quarterback play to get that done. That's why I think if you're a Georgia fan, you've got to be very, very careful not to play favorites. You've got to be very, very careful not to make too much of who's playing when and just allow this kind of stuff to sort itself out because – having too many quarterbacks is better than not having enough and as the years play out it may seem like Georgia has too many one of these guys may eventually leave one of these guys may I don't who even knows how the future plays out but that scenario where you have a lot of quarterbacks and you're trying to figure out who the one that's the best actually is that is always preferable to the wow, we no longer kind of have enough quarterbacks and the guy that we have is struggling just a little bit. That's the scenario I think you want to try to avoid if you possibly can and hard not to notice that when you watch Auburn on Saturday. I've gone long here, so let me just very quickly say I'm very interested in the Texas A&M-Arkansas game on Saturday. As Georgia's in Vanderbilt, it's not, a, it's not a great slate of SEC games this weekend. LSU at Mississippi State may not be too bad. Tennessee-Florida used to be a big game. I do think Florida's terrible. Uh, Kentucky-South Carolina's not a bad game, I guess. But um, but the Arkansas-Texas A&M game is fascinating. Now, um, I still think Texas A&M's pretty good. I think there's been an overreaction to how they play without their starting quarterback at Colorado the other day. Um, I would still probably like Texas A&M against Arkansas. I reserve the right to change my mind, but... I'm not selling my Aggie stock right now. But if Arkansas wins, they do have a chance to win. If Arkansas wins, boy, oh, boy, does that make October 2nd for the dogs and the hogs feel very different. So not too soon to start thinking about the upcoming week. And Georgia's got a what to a lot of folks is a revenge game against Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt canceled on them last year. And Georgia's opponent the following week plays a big show show me spot against uh, Texas A&M right there. So pretty interesting stuff. Also got uh, Wisconsin-Notre Dame from Soldier Field on Saturday. So kind of a big national game there on that front there too. And we'll make that your SEC through. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, I want to turn my attention back fully to UGA for a moment. I thought Kirby Smart had an interesting comment on Saturday. He was asked by a reporter, hey, listen, Kirby, and I'm paraphrasing the question, when you get your pass rush humming the way that it is, uh how much is that bothering the opposing quarterbacks that you're playing and I thought that Smart gave a pretty funny answer and I'll explain why it's funny in a moment gave a pretty funny answer to the question of how much is your pass rush affecting opposing quarterbacks this is what Smart said in response to that question I guess you'd have to ask them I don't a lot I would think but uh our guys get off and pass rush and, and there's a lot of detail that goes into that like the amount of time Trey Scott and Schumann and Dan, all the defensive guys spend on, on creating rush, right? Creating, it's not just one-on-one, I beat my guy. It's games, it's twists, it's stunts. It's knowing when it's a pass, when it's a run, when I can take advantage of things. There's a lot of things our, our linebackers call to our front to get them in pass rush mode. And when they're in pass rush mode, they're pretty good. Yeah, I should say so. When they're in pass rush, pass, easy for me to say. <sighs> When they are in pass rush mode, they are very good right now. And I thought it was funny at the beginning when Smart said you'd have to ask them how the pass rush affected their quarterback. Well, guess what? Shane Beamer was essentially asked that question of, hey, how come you had such a hard time blocking the Georgia defense? And Shane Beamer gave a classic answer. This is very good. They've got like 105 star football players on their defense. They are. They have a defensive lineman that weighs 340 pounds and, and runs better than everybody on this call. Uh, they've got five-star defensive backs. They're big and physical and fast. I mean, other than that, they're really freaking good. That's why they have the top defense in the country. They're hard to run the football on. So there wasn't some magical scheme they came out with tonight. They got five-star recruits everywhere, and they play really physical. Damn. <laughs> I think that's pretty good from Shane Beamer right there. And I do think that the future five-star recruits are very, very highly rated four-star recruits. I think they probably notice. I thought what Georgia did on defense on Saturday night with some big-time names in the building was a pretty good commercial for what you can also do if you come to UGA. And this is what we wanted to see for a while, right? Five stars playing like five stars. Elite athletes unleashed. That's happening, y'all. This is this is a defense that you show up each and every week knowing what to expect from it. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be dominant. It's going to be thorough in how it takes these teams down. And, yes, there are a couple of breakdowns in the past, and I'm not going to you know pretend that doesn't matter. We talked to John Stinchcomb about that a moment ago. 
But man, there's also a lot to like about what you're seeing across the board here. Good stuff from the UGA defense and really a very funny way of Shane Beamer describing what it felt like to be on the other end of that on Saturday night. Of course, with Florida playing Alabama close on Saturday and Florida fans sticking their chest out about the moral victory, you knew that was going to draw a strong response from UGA fans. And our Gatorade roll call the last really couple of weeks has not been very Florida heavy. In the summer offseason, it's almost a Florida jab each and every day. But a lot of Georgia fans have had their attention other places. Well, now Florida has gotten Georgia fans' attention again heading to this game. In fact, we have two golden shoes today to kind of point that out. First of all, kind of an ugly shot of Dan Mullen. And what Curbstomp puts on Twitter is in Florida's last four games, Dan Mullen's starting quarterbacks have thrown two picks, or should say two touchdowns, and eight interceptions, kind of the sarcastic quarterback whisperer. Jay Baker from Dog Country shared that with me and said it's a nice little stat for dog fans to know. And Jay Baker, now they do know. Our buddy Mad Dog weighs in there as well to say the road to success with Dan Mullen trying to climb that up. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a struggle maybe for uh, Coach Dan on that. Good stuff from Mad Dog. And speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, it'll be time for Georgia to slap them around 40 days from right now. That is our Gatorator countdown. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Of course, brought to you by R.S. Andrews. You can find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. One of the reasons why we love recommending R.S. Andrews around here. We'll take a few of your comments. Of course, a lot of this post-game reaction at Dog Nation Daily on Twitter or in the comments section when we post the show online at dognation.com. Uh, a couple of folks weighing in on the quarterback situation with Arch Manning being in the stadium on Saturday. Uh, OP Mike weighs in to say, if I could advise the Manning family, I'd recommend that Arch, that's the 2023 five-star quarterback, not go to UGA. Kirby Smart is not the coach who will properly develop him. Uh, also kind of weighing in to say the same thing was the sports mom, Kim, who says, as much as I love the dogs, I'm not convinced we're the best landing spot to develop top quarterbacks. I'm just not sure Arch Manning should come here. Am I wrong? She asks, and look, here, here's what I'll say in response to a lot of that, is that I thought that Kirby Smart did himself no favors by inventing a quarterback situation, I won't call it a quarterback controversy, but inventing a quarterback situation on Saturday by you know bringing in Stetson Bennett in the weird way that he did during the game. And I think in, you know, it, it makes people ask these like you know tough questions with the Georgia quarterback situation, criticize Georgia for its quarterback handling, but... I think the people who are kind of fixated on what's happening with Bennett or Beck or Vandergriff or anybody like that right now, I think they're missing the point that Georgia actually is developing a quarterback there at the moment. I mean, Georgia is making JT Daniels right now into a better player than he was at USC. Let me give you the stats. In fact, let's try let's we can look this up real quick. JT Daniels stats going back to his freshman season as a starter at USC. Now you can say, well, he was young back then, but you know. There are plenty of you know freshmen who do start, so it's a fair comparison all the way around. Um, JT Daniels going back going back then only completed fifty nine percent of his passes. His yards per attempt was only seven point four. He threw fourteen touchdowns, ten interceptions. You know Daniels struggled as a freshman at USC, and yes, he left college you know, high school a year early. My understanding was he was already eighteen though. So I mean, it's like most quarterbacks are. You know, you, you don't have a lot of a lot of true 18 year old senior quarterback sometimes my and my understanding is is that Daniels was kind of one of those extra year high school players as it was so it's kind of all a wash playing as a freshman 14 touchdowns 10 interceptions 7.4 yards per attempt 59 percent completion percentage yet at Georgia in the four games that he played a year ago 11 point I should say 10.3 yards per attempt 10 touchdowns to two picks that's a five to one ratio and he completed 67.2% of his passes. Georgia thus far this season, 73.8% completion percentage. The yards per attempt number's not great right now. It's just 7.2. The touchdown interception number's not great right now. But the point is, if you look at the totality of Daniel's career, he's 13 touchdowns to four interceptions at Georgia. That's better than a 3-1 to one mark. He is, you know, working on about a 70% completion percentage to say that Georgia doesn't develop quarterbacks very well, it's developing JT Daniels at the moment. I mean, Daniels was not a finished product when he came here. He was a guy who had struggled as a freshman and was injured as a sophomore. 
and he's gotten healthier during his time at Georgia. And when given a chance to play in the Todd Munkin offense, he's played well in it. And if you want the next quarterback at Georgia, you want it to be you know Carson Beck or Brock Vandergriff or whoever you want it to be. If you want the next quarterback at Georgia to be successful, the thing that you've got to hope for the most is, is that quarterback can inherit an offense that's led by Daniels now that's set up for him to succeed. The best thing that can happen for future Georgia quarterbacks is for Daniels, I believe, to chart the course right now by playing well in the moment that we're in. So I think that Georgia fans shouldn't miss the shouldn't miss what's happening in the present. Don't be so worried about the future of why isn't Beck playing more or why isn't Vandergriff playing more or whatever it is that people seem to be worried about. Don't worry, you know, don't get fixated on that and miss the fact that when Daniels has been healthy enough to play for Georgia this year, he's actually, for the most part, played pretty well. Maybe thrown more picks than you want him to. But but ultimately, you know, when you watch JT in the game against South Carolina on Saturday, I think you're looking at a quarterback that's really getting it done offensively for Georgia right now. The program itself deserves some credit for that. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been things in the past that I think that Kirby was um, – deserving of criticism for when it comes to his quarterback situation but this thing in particular he's working with Daniels right now or Todd Munkin on Kirby's behalf is working with Daniels right now to hopefully make people forget about some of that kind of stuff and so when it is happening and I think I think on Saturday Georgia had a mostly good day offensively when that is happening I think people should notice that 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 Smart did himself no favors by inviting a quarterback conversation but the fans who kind of fixate on what happened with the the brief QB rotation and make that the most important thing that happened on Saturday, I personally think they're making a mistake by doing so. One more comment on a different subject. Edward Williams says, I'll say that so far this year, UGA is the best team I've seen play. They look really good with the schedule that sets up nice for them. Should be big favorites in all remaining games, including Florida. If I'm a UGA fan, I'm hoping Kirby doesn't blow this chance again. So, you know, has Kirby blown chances in the past? I don't know. Um, you know, you know what Kirby, I think, has been doing the last couple of years is working to get the program at the level that Alabama has been at. And, you know, it, it's not like Georgia was the favorite against Alabama and let the game slip away. Uh, you know, halftime leads notwithstanding, Georgia has been working to get to the point that, it, that, that it's equal to where Alabama has been. And, for a brief moment in 2019, another team leapt out in front of Georgia in terms of being able to do that. That was LSU. They've mostly disappeared since then. So, you know, Georgia has been more consistent than the other teams that have been trying to reach the Alabama level. So I don't know that Georgia's really choked much away. They Yes, they had a lead against Alabama, but it's a 60-minute football game. You know, um, what happens in the final 30 minutes is just as important as what happens in the first 30 minutes. And it all adds together to be, you know, the story of the game. So I don't know what Georgia's let slip away necessarily. I just know that Georgia's working to that point. And I think the larger point you bring up is, you know, probably a, a pretty good one, which is that in terms of talent, the way that talent's playing, the schedule the rest of the way, I don't know that Kirby's had a better opportunity to break through than what he seems to have right now. I think that's probably pretty fair. So good stuff as part of our RS Andrews podcast, cool down right now. Appreciate you being here. Love your comments. Hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily online at dognation.com in the comments section when we post the show. We'll see you back here tomorrow for more Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.